This radio program is PG-13. Parents strongly caution some material may be inappropriate for children under the age of 13. Set me free of the chains holding me. Is anybody out there hearing me? Jesus' mission was to comfort those who mourn, bind up the brokenhearted, Proclaim liberty to captives and open prison doors for those who are bound. For those who want more than status quo Christianity has to offer, Blazing Grace Radio begins now. And here is your host, Mike Janung. Hey, Mike Janung here. Welcome back. So in last week's show, um, we took a hard look at where our country is and where the church is and why we've lost our salt. And today, we're going to be getting into some action steps we can take to start making a difference, making an impact, making an impact for eternity with our lives. And before I get into this, I wrote a new book called The Rogue Christian uh, earlier this year, and everything that I talked about last week and that I'm going to talk about today is in this book. So before I get wound up and forget... (laughs) Uh, if, you, if you're interested in the book, go to www.therowchristian.com and you'll be able, there's a lot of posts on there about how to take your Christian walk to the next level. You can buy the books. Some people are taking the book and they're using from Bible studies. You can buy them in e-books. And we're doing 30 days of prayer right now and we're right in the middle of that. So um, you can watch videos on how to take your prayer life to the next level. So there's a lot on that website. And again, that's theroguechristian.com. So what I want to get into today is what we can do to what I'm going to say, go rogue. And by go rogue, I mean um, become a biblical Christian. And just because something is American, it doesn't mean it's necessarily Christian. So... The first challenge is I want to ask you, um, what's your relationship with the Lord like? Could you say that you have a passionate love relationship with him from the heart to where when you spend time with him, there are times you're just bursting with joy. There's times maybe you're weeping. There's times when you just can't wait to be with him. You have the fruit of the Spirit deep within, love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering. Do you really have that? There's a lot of Christians that are playing the religious game and they go to church, you know, Sunday once a week, but they really don't have it. And you can tell by the casual attitude when they walk in and they're carrying Starbucks coffee cups and it looks like they're kind of there for a casual social get-together. And and the other question I would ask you is, what's your prayer life look like? How often do you spend a good hour or more in prayer with the Lord? There is, Leonard Ravenhill once said that no man is greater than their prayer life. The source of our power is in our prayer life and is in the closet. 
So I want to challenge you and ask you to start taking a hard look at um, what does my prayer life look like? Is it one, two, five minutes a day, and then you're off to the races? I go about once every two months, sometimes three months, to a retreat alone. Um, now in the desert. <laughs> I used to be in the mountains when we were in Colorado, and I just love it because what happens is I'm sitting with God, and I'm resting with Him. I hear His voice. I'm tasting His presence. I'm tasting eternity. It is just amazing. If I were to describe my relationship with Him, it would be awesome. And so there's a lot of time spent praying, going after God, Sometimes there's tears. I'm in his word. I'm asking him to speak to me. Sometimes I'm resting with him in silence. Sometimes it's just pure worship. Nothing matters if you don't have a passionate relationship with the Lord. I don't care how much theology you know. I mean, look at the Pharisees. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, and they were stuffed with pride and arrogance. What is the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Jesus tells us to become like a child. Children don't sit there and try to overthink things. They just jump in their dad's lap and say, Dad, I want to be with you, and I want to have fun with you. I love being with you. Oh, my gosh, you've, you've done so much for me. This is really the heart and the core of the Christian life, and all too often we make it about the message we hear, we're getting is um, be really nice, learn your Bible verses, Go to church and go to do and do good things every once in a while, raise a family, and we've totally missed the core of the Christian life. And it begins with a fervent prayer life. When I say fervent, I don't mean God, would you fix my car today? I mean God, I want to know you. I'm hungry for you. Fill me with you. I'm nothing without you. It's going after God hard with all you've got. Uh, we're told, if, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. So we have to be, you know, the true seekers are those who know who they're after. Um, my understanding is that, especially from Ephesians 2, is a corpse can't raise itself from the dead. I don't know that there's any such thing as people who are just kind of floating around there in this kind of foggy, unclear seeker mode, looking here, looking there. The true seekers are those that know they're after God, know they're starved for him, know they need him, and they're going to keep going after him hard, and that's the pattern of their life, and they have a full-on, nonstop prayer life. That doesn't mean they always get it right every day. Sometimes I don't always think to pray when I should, and sometimes I'll be going something, and you know maybe it's something stressful, and it's like, oh, <laughs> I need to stop, take a breath, and then go up to God. And you know half the time, just in the action of doing that, um, the peace comes or the answer comes. Next, all of you, every single one of you who are adult Christians need to meet with another brother or sister once a week for the purpose of prayer, support, encouragement, and accountability. Our church, the American church, is stuffed with isolated believers who are living the Christian life on their own. And when I say meet with another believer, I don't mean... Um, Joe and Bob meeting to each other and slapping themselves in the back and say, hey, uh, let's talk about, you know, the pro sports teams or talking about hobbies or, or whatever. I'm talking about gut level. How did you really do this week? How did you really do with temptation? How did you really do with 
when you saw that 20-year-old girl walking past you who had short shorts and a low tank top walking past you? How are you really doing with your wife? How are you really treating her? And I meet with another brother every single Friday. Uh, we would meet for lunch. Now we do it by Skype because he's still in Colorado. But um, we've been doing this for years, and there's just no other way to live the Christian life. There are no isolated believers in God's economy. There, and what happens is we'll share during lunch, and then uh, we would go out to one of our cars, and he calls it the chapel, and then we spend time praying for each other, for what we've gone through that week. We pray for our wives and our kids and other things going on, and I can tell you, we see miracles just from prayer alone. And the way life works is, is if we don't do this with another brother or sister, then all this pressure Shame, guilt, and goo starts building up, and then we're, we're just primed for a blow. So when I'm working with men and women struggling with porn, I, right off the gate, I tell them, you've got to start meeting with another believer now. And I'm, gonna tell, I'm telling each and every one of you who are listening to this, same thing. You have to start meeting with another believer once a week. But let's, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> the church isn't always a safe place to open up. So it's not like you can just go walk you know, down the aisle and say, hey, I need to meet with someone. You have to be careful. And spiritual abuse is a big problem. Um, I've experienced myself and so have others that when they were open with another believer uh, about something deep that was deeply shameful and painful that the other believer just quoted verses or or I've heard, you know, I've had it happen myself where I shared with a pastor and he just ripped me. And I've heard stories like that from other Christians too. So if you don't have any friends like that right, right now, what you need to do is use wisdom and ask the Lord, Father, would you please give me someone, a brother or sister who I can talk to, please? James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We need this. We're, a lot of us are just dying. I mean, I hear one woman told me a story where she went, she's in her mid-40s, she went to church one week and she was just bawling her eyes out because something going at home. And she said, I couldn't tell anybody. It's not safe to talk at church. So we had to face the fact that um, we've got a lot of arrogant Christians and we need to really bring some conviction on that in our Sunday morning services that, you know, a lot of you are arrogant and this is the way you have a safe church. You focus on listening, not preaching, and not reading people the riot act. And the, uh, the next thing we need to want to look at is our mentality at the Christian life. And there are two main themes in, Christ- in Scripture. The first is love. Because how did God start this whole thing out in Genesis? He puts a man and a woman down in this garden paradise. He didn't drop them down in the Sahara Desert. He puts them in this garden paradise. The fruits and the whatever they're eating from the ground must have been just amazing. And they're walking around naked. And um, wow, I mean, just no shame, no nothing, no guilt, no sin, no flesh. It must have just been wonderful. And then right off the bat, what happens? Satan comes right in, first attack, bam, uh, the man and the woman fall big time, sin enters in, 
And ever since then, those two themes of love and war have been all throughout Scripture, and they will continue to be all through into Revelation until Jesus comes. So you have to have this perspective that we are a church at war, and you are meant to be a spiritual warrior. You're not meant to be sitting on the sidelines, and part of being a spiritual warrior is you've got to have a powerful prayer life. And along with that is you've got to be have the understanding that suffering is a part of this game. I see Jeremiah 29, 11 quoted a lot, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Amazing, wonderful verse, right? I mean, I, I love that myself. I, I want to hear that. And we should. what we need to do is look at the context, what that was saying. So the children of Israel at that time were in exile in Babylon when God spoke those words to them. And um, the Babylonians sieged um, their city. And they, during that time, people were dying of starvation. Some were reduced to little more than walking skeletons. I'm just going to read this. Once the Babylonians broke through, many were killed. The temple and the royal palace were burned, as were many homes. A large contingent were exiled to Babylon. Some were forced to make the long march naked and in chains. The exiles were homeless, broke, stripped of their dignity, and torn with grief. They lost everything because they allowed their country to free fall into idol worship, evil, and darkness. Many had done nothing and idly watched as their homeland collapsed. And part of our problem is we've got this Facebook meme mentality where, yay, God's given us the victory, and then we do nothing. So the challenge is it's time to get in the game. It's time to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Where do you want me in the battle? How do you want me to fight? And get on our knees and start fighting the war there and praying for our country every day, praying for our families every day, praying for our other institutions every day and really endeavoring to go to war. And then Philippians 1.29 has been granted you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Um, that ain't a seeker-friendly message right there. And I want to tell a little story. I... 2016, I got invited to speak at a conference in Vienna, Austria. And in the uh, in the week leading up to leading up to um, the time where I was going to fly out, I got sick. Um, I broke my toe, so I was hobbled and wearing a boot. Two days before, my back this hardly ever happens. Pinched and. I was in back pain, but I did get that resolved. And and I was hoping that as I got on the plane that I would feel better. Well, um, not only did I not feel better, I got 10 times worse with whatever flu bug I have. I flew in Thursday night. I hoped I could get better on Friday. Um, I didn't get better on Friday. I just got, I was miserable. And it was an all-day event on a Saturday, and I was as we're driving over there, I'm just miserable, and I just pray, God, I can't do this. You're going to have to come through. And then I I was scheduled to speak, I think, 
once or twice in the morning, another once or twice in the afternoon. So I had a long day in front of me. And as soon as I get up to speak, it was just amazing. All of the weariness just fell right off me, and there's like this surge of power that just rushed through my entire system, and I had everything and more that I needed. I was on fire for the rest of the day, and we have it backwards a lot in the Christian life that um, we got to run from suffering, but Paul talked about boasting in his weakness that the power of Christ may dwell in us. So if you want the power of Christ to dwell on you, you're going to be prepared to suffer. You're going to be able to give him everything and not just kind of dance around the hard issues or dance around your pain. You're going to have to move into it and walk with him and walk with him where he wants to take you in the battle. And how did, how did God um, start people off in ministry? What did he say to, to get him going? Uh, think about Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, he, he encounters God and he, God heals him of... Um, a mouth that was evidently did a lot of swearing, and then immediately got Isaiah's just filled with joy. God says, Whom, Who's going to go for us? And Isaiah says, Here am I, send me. And then if you go and read the passage, it's really a big downer because then God says, Well, go and speak to a bunch of people who aren't going to listen to you. That's not exactly the positive, encouraging way to start out a ministry there. But Isaiah went, he was willing to give everything, and that's what is required of us today. Are you willing to give everything and go all the way into the fight? How about the Apostle Paul? Um, he was used by God powerfully. He wrote scripture and started churches and brought, he just brought the um, unbelievers to Christ. And how did, how did his ministry start? I'm, was it the Jeremiah 29-11 treatment? I got a you know, great plan for you. I'll read Acts 9, 13 to 16, when Ananias was told to go um, lay hands on Paul to heal him because he couldn't see at that moment. Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. In other words, I don't want to do this. <laughs> Paul's killing other believers, basically. But the Lord said to him, Go, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. See, this isn't getting across in our seeker-friendly, make-everyone-comfortable churches. We're not giving them a faith worth dying for. All we're giving them is an Awana-level Bible study making everybody feel really good instead of challenging them to take their prayer walk, to take everything to another level. Uh, the next thing is I talk to a lot of pastors, or I talk to some pastors, and I hear the same numbers a lot that 20% of their flock are giving 100% of the tithes. And why is that? You see, our giving, um, our financial support, comes from a heart that loves the Lord. And if you want to really know what your heart looks like, take a look at your checkbook. And this is another reflection that we're not giving people a faith worth dying for. Or, you know, I, I think that 
the subject of money freaks a lot of people out. You know, immediately some people grab their wallet like, uh-uh, you ain't touching that. Um, and in First Corinthians, we're told, we're told the Lord loves a cheerful giver and let everyone give as he purposes in his heart. He didn't give it a number even. So financial giving is a symptom of what's going on in her heart, and it causes to keep looking back, who am I? Where is my relationship with the Lord? So the challenge here is to is that a lot of believers are not funding God's work. They're not funding God's army. They're not funding ministries or churches. So we need you to get in the game. That's another part, and another area we need you to get in the fight. Think about our culture for a minute. We're a culture of a lot of entertainment. I thought I thought it really fascinating that after COVID, all the sports industries basically were shut down. Movie theaters were shut down. So a lot of the things that we were spending a lot of time on, all of a sudden were gone. And I couldn't help wondering, God, what are you saying to us? And I saw Christians on Facebook posting, oh my gosh, I miss my sports and and so I, I couldn't help wondering, is that a sign that, Lord, you want to be a clear first in our life, far above everything else? And the other thing you see is you see a lot of, um, or I see Christians posting about going to secular rock group concerts. And I'm kind of scratching my head at times because some of these concerts, I know at these these bands are singing about and it's they're glorifying sexual sin they're glorifying lust they're going glorifying evil they're glorifying the occult and violence and hatred and rape and all sorts of things when prince died i think it was several years ago you saw a lot of people you know believers with purple and mourning the loss of his music and um <laughs> this is this is the the words from one of his songs, and I'm gonna skip them over one of what what he says a little bit. But it says, "If we cannot make babies, maybe we can make some time." Thoughts of pretty you and me, erotic city, come alive. We can, and I'm not gonna use the word he used. Have sex until the dawn, making love till Cherry's gone. Erotic city, can't you see? Thoughts of pretty you and me. Every time I comb my hair, thoughts of you get in my eyes. You're a sinner. I don't care. I just want you, and I'm not gonna repeat it. Why are God's people listening to this stuff and glorifying this stuff? We have let entertainment have too big of a place in our life and we have allowed too much of the world's messages to have too big of a place in our life and it's dulling our walk with the Lord and it's killing our prayer life and it's killing our passion for him and it's numbing our soul. So each one of us has to take a hard look at um, Are there any? is there anything I need to that I'm listening to or I'm watching that I shouldn't be. And um, these are hard things, but these are places that our culture has got a grip on us. So for the rogue Christian, God comes first. Having a passionate love relationship with him has to come first. Your prayer life has to come first. Take a hard look at your heart today. Where are you really with the Lord? Would you be one of those in the book of Revelations where he said, 
you've drifted, you've drifted, and I need you to restore your first love. Or one of those in the parable of the sower, what he said, you're choked with the things of this world. Or do you really have a passionate love relationship with him? And all this is in my book, The Real Christian. Again, go to therealchristian.com to look at it. And next week, we're going to take this to another level. Today, we talked about The Real Christian. Next week, we're going to talk about The Real Church. And again, that's what a biblical church really looks like. So I really want to challenge you to take your game, to take your relationship with the Lord to the next level. I want to challenge you to go after him hard and to seek him with all you have. I want to challenge you to realize that you're in a fierce battle and we cannot just sit there and be passive believers. Let's get in the game. Let's get in the fight. Let's equip our people to be overcomers. Let's talk about these things openly on Sunday morning. Pastors, I hope you're listening to this. And if you didn't, please listen to the last show because I go into detail a lot of where we are. I'll see you next time. Do you want to be free? Blazing Grace is a nonprofit international ministry for the sexually broken and the spouse. Please visit us at blazinggrace.org for information on Mike Janung's books, groups, counseling, or to have Mike speak at your organization. You can email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call our office in Chandler, Arizona at 719-888-5144. Again, visit us at blazinggrace.org. Email us at email at blazinggrace.org or call the office at 719-888-5144.